You're listening to episode 322 of the 200 Churches Podcast. Find a couple of people, maybe even lay people, outside the church who know you and who are trustworthy, who will keep confidences. Find people you can talk to, and certainly it could be a pastor from a nearby church who's maybe from a different denomination where you won't cross paths too often, but it's the bond of affection with the pastors because we know Christ, and it's that commitment to Him and His Word that binds us together. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. We're passionate about providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. We release a brand new episode every Wednesday to do just that for you, all of our small church pastor friends. Now here are two guys who are definitely better together, friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I'm here in the studio with my good friend and podcast partner for life, Johnny Craig. I like how you slipped that in there, Jeff. Well, you know, I'm just trying to insinuate that even though we missed two weeks, first time ever, yeah, first time ever in the six and a half years of podcasting, we're not going away. No. It is for life, Johnny. My life, that is. <laughs> and you can pick whoever you want to after me. With your health level these days, you're going to outlive me anyway, Jeff. So I'm not concerned you about it. You never know. Yeah. You never know. That's good. Hey, Johnny, last week I was at that, uh, what conference was I at? It was Orange something. The, the, the Orange Conference, but I was at the Rethink Leadership Conference. Okay. And got to see, uh, got to say hello, and uh, Carrie Newhoff says hi. Oh, good old uh, Carrie. And uh, also got to spend some time with Dirty Dan. Oh, man. Now that I'm Dirty jealous Dan of. Dirty Dan Ryland. Carrie Newhoff can <laughs> kick rocks. But Dan Ryland is the man. I, I am sad I missed that. He is. He is. I bet we spent 40 minutes together. That's oh, fun. In uh, one, of the, uh, one of their upstairs rooms there. Let me and ask you the truth. Did you, did you ever think, Jeff, that you'd go hang out with Dan Ryland as friends? You, well, I mean, over the last five years, I no, thought but I'm saying like 30, because... 30 odd years ago or whatever, no, when you went yeah, and saw no. him at that conference in Albany, New York, or wherever it was, did you think then? No. No, so this this is uh it's one of those because of our podcast moments, right? Yeah, I like that. It was fun. In fact, I got to see a number of people there. I won't remember them all. I wrote their names down somewhere. Yeah, uh, but it was uh it was a good time, and it was good to be at a pastoral leadership conference as a pastor and with no other responsibilities but to sit there and interact with the pastors around the table, soak it in. Yeah. Uh, there's a cap of 500 pastors for that conference. That's fun. And they put you around uh, a round table, and they group you with pastors of similar-sized churches. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and we hung out for those two days together, and that was a lot of fun. Bumped into Carl Vaders. Yeah. Uh, that was nice. The crazy thing is, Kerry Newhoff, you know, he's got a team of people around him, right? And right. They, they put this little promo video together for here's what's happening at the Rethink Leadership Conference. And in that little promo video that they uploaded to his Instagram account, I was in the one of the pictures, it's, you know, as they're uh, spanning across the, across the lobby. You're famous. I'm standing there talking to somebody. Well, then I get uh, a little while later, I get, and I didn't know it. I had no idea. I don't, honestly, I, I don't even follow Carrie New. I know. I'm so Ooh, I have to confess. Sick burn. Don't even follow Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. Sick burn, uh, my friend. So 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 I get this uh I get this text message from Carl Vader's 
And he's like, are you at the Rethink Leadership Conference? And then he shows me a still of a picture of me standing there talking to some guy. And <laughs> I'm like, funny. who took that? And then he said it was on Carrie's. And I'm assuming, you know, maybe Carrie took it. Well, silly me, of course. It wasn't even a, it wasn't a still. It was a video. Anyway, sure. uh, got to talk with Carl and his wife, uh, spent about 45 minutes with them uh, at the uh, Infinite Energy Center out on the concourse sitting okay. in some free seating. Yeah, they're doing they're doing really well. Uh, Carl's Carl's going and growing, baby. That's awesome. Going and growing. That's awesome. Yeah. And he, of course, I sent you that video, so he says hello. Yes, he says hello. Yep, yep. Two busy weeks traveling both weeks. Good to be home. Well, I'm glad Good to be back. I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're keeping us honest here with the new podcast episode. Our boy Ray Hollenbach, Ray Holland, baby back ribs, as I like to call him. <laughs> yes, sent us a text concerned. Ray said, yes. are you guys okay? And I said, I fell into a well. So it's been a while because I've just been stuck and Lassie hasn't come to save me. But I appreciated that he was concerned. He probably thought that you and I had relational drama that we, that we had not sorted out. But what he doesn't realize is that if you and I had relational drama, we would air it out on the podcast. This is where we Absolutely. would do our therapy. Yeah, for sure. So there's but no relational issues. The, the last few weeks, we haven't had relational anything. Know, that's very true. It's been a relational vacuum. Relational vacuum. That's why I've been feeling so depressed lately, I think, Jeff, because I haven't had my my booster shots of it's, Jeff. It's all those hours out in the baseball field, man. That's oh depressing. My, oh, my goodness. <laughs> You're just standing there watching kids stand uh, around. I'm watching them pick grass and eat dirt. That's basically what they're doing, <laughs> those second graders, yes. So true. So true. Well, hey. Today, we have got a veteran pastor, Yeah, 40-plus years in ministry, served as, uh, as a district guy, and, and in that role, he served other pastors. Yeah. This guy is one of, those, one of those classics. Talk about hashtag classic pastor. Yeah. I mean, this guy was back doing it when he got paid in something other than cash. <laughs> the church was so small, and the area was so small where in his first pastorate that his kids went to a one-room schoolhouse that had no more than 18 kids in it. Oh, my goodness. He's seen some stuff, this guy. Yeah. This is Bill Larson, again, veteran pastor. He's, uh, he's going to talk all about small church ministry and ministry over the, over the lifespan. And yeah. we don't get too many guys like this who are – he's 83 years old – and is uh, just one of those. Oh, it's okay, Johnny. We love hearing. We love hearing uh, Eliza back there. She's uh, she's doing the googly growl. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, so we don't get too many guys like this who no. have had decades in ministry. Yeah, it's incredible. And lived to tell about it. And actually had a great post ministry uh, life and relationship with their churches. So we're going to get to him. What do you think? I love it. Let's talk to him. Bill Larson, welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. You didn't know you were going to get involved in this today, did you? Well, not today at all. <laughs> so, Bill, you uh, have been attending my church for yep. oh, a year, maybe? Oh, not that long. We started coming uh, mid-summer because we knew we were coming here to move to okay. Newton, and we wanted to get acquainted with people, so... We knew somebody when the time we moved here. Okay. And so you, it's been that long. And your daughter and son-in-law live here. Yes. Yeah. So, Bill, I've met you and we've talked just a couple times, and I've 
identified you as like one of the perfect people to get on a podcast with us and talk to pastors of small churches. Well, I hope you're right. I've had experience in small churches. So so talk to us about that. So our listeners they don't they don't know you. I hardly know you. Yeah. And these are the best episodes when Johnny or I are asking questions of the person we're talking to. We're getting to learn along with the listeners. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. Okay. Became a Christian in my junior year of high school. I was planning to become a medical doctor or a physicist. Hmm. But when God got a hold of my life, I felt I had to ask him what he wanted me to do, and he called me into ministry. So I went off to Bethel College and then seminary. And uh, when I finished seminary, of course, I was looking for a church. But I owed the school so much money that— I couldn't pay what I owed them, so they were trying to find me a large church to get involved (laughs) in, so I had a decent salary so I could pay them back. Yeah. But God had other plans. So um, I interviewed at a few churches here in the Des Moines area, by the way. They were on the order of 2,000, 3,000 people. Okay. And I was interviewing for a youth pastor, but they didn't call me. One was Presbyterian, didn't think it was appropriate to call a Baptist as their youth minister. <laughs> and uh, God's plan was that despite all the money I owed, he called me and my family to a tiny church in the poorest county in Minnesota, Todd mm. County, Minnesota. It was out in the farmsteads, three and a half miles from Long Prairie, Minnesota. And they paid me $325 a month. Wow. And I had three kids to support, a wife. The church did provide some wood to heat the house with. And uh, in the winter month, they brought in a little coal. But we had to pay <laughs> half the phone bill. And anyway, it was a real challenge. But God met our needs all the way through. And I could tell you stories that I won't waste time on today. But God met us financially there and sustained us taught us that you can trust God with anything. So after three years working part-time to mm-hmm. supplement my income, yeah. we finally moved to uh, Iowa for our first pastorate down here. That's the way it started. Okay, so Bethel, yeah. Bethel College and Seminary right. in the Twin Cities. Yep. Johnny and I both have degrees, master's degrees from Bethel Seminary. That's great. Actually, so see that? We're from the same school and didn't even know it. That's right. Amazing. That's, that's awesome. So yeah. you and your wife, you you got married, and did you get married and then go to that church where you recently married? Oh, no. We, we got married in my uh, second year of college. Okay. We didn't have any kids, of course, at that time, but by the time I'd graduated from college, our son had been born, and then it took me six years to get through three years of seminary. Okay. Because I'd go part-time. Yeah. I'd drop out for a semester to earn more money and try and keep current with everything. And I worked 40 hours a week. Wow. uh, At a secular job, mostly in the dairy industry, but God used all those things. So by the time we were through seminary, I still owed them money. They finally gave me my degree, so I'd quit borrowing more from them. (laughs) But God had prepared me, and uh, wonderful things had happened. Bill, you've already been speaking the language of our listeners, bivocational ministry, small, rural church. 
What do you remember about the people in that in that first church? How many how many folks would show up on a Sunday morning? Oh, there are probably 60, 70 at the okay, most. Okay, that many. Almost okay. all of them farmers. Yeah. We did have one professional guy and his wife who were also Bethel grads, and he had graduated from seminary, but... Never felt called to the pastorate, hmm. but he worked as a social worker for Todd County, and they were kind of the backbone of the church for us anyway, because they understood what we were going through, and they became our close friends. We learned to do with the farmers. I milked. No, I didn't milk any cows. I always wanted to pull a calf, but they never called me when that <laughs> happened. And some of our pastor friends who are listening, don't they, they don't know what pull a calf yeah. means. Well, when the pa- calf doesn't come naturally, you've got to put a rope around its um, legs and tug gently and hope it comes out in one piece. The birthing process yeah, you're talking right. about here, right? right? But I did uh, feed calves and so on, and I baled hay with my uh, farmer friends and uh, when a deacon's back went out, I went down and fed his cows for several weeks and came home after chopping silage for them, smelling like high heaven. <laughs> and uh, the family would make me disrobe out in the entryway so I didn't bring that smell inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember once walking with my kids up to one of the other farmers of the church, and we were kind of wrinkling our nose at the barnyard smell. He wrinkled back at us and said, yeah, I've lived through all these years. I never liked that smell yet. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when I came to Iowa, and, of course, there's a lot of uh, pig farms and uh, uh, swine containment facilities, and what the farmers would tell me, they would say, can you smell that? I said, yeah, I smell it. That's the most terrible. They said, no, that's the smell of money. That's right, black gold. Yeah, that's what they would tell me. So how many kids did you and your wife have? We have three kids. Okay. And they're all getting up there themselves now. We're having our third great-grandchild born next month. Wow. uh, We just had a wonderful family life all these years, and we treasure our kids. And they didn't turn out to rebel against ministry. You know, they struggled because we were poor. Yeah. But uh, God gave them wonderful experiences and learned to trust all along, too. And they all went to Bethel, too, by the way, and had to earn their way because we were too poor to help them financially. Mm -hmm. God has just led us all wonderfully, and for these things, I thank him. Yeah. Do you remember what year it was when you started in in that first church right out of seminary? Yeah, December of 1964. I'd graduated in June of 64. I but was didn't one year have old. a church at that point. Oh, really? Well, that gives us a little difference in age. <laughs> yeah, here. yeah. Anyway, uh, what might interest you as a part of this story, I told the church up there in Long Prairie that with a salary they were willing to pay me, and all they could pay me, because mm-hmm. they just didn't have cash incomes. And uh, I said I'd have to work a part-time job. And they were willing to let me do that. So I mowed golf course greens for a while. I worked at Fairway Grocery Store in the produce department. But the funniest thing of all was uh, I eventually ended up in radio there. And in high school years, I'd won a radio speaking contest for the whole city of Duluth and never dreamed about going into radio. But one day, um, a fellow called me up. He owned a radio station in Long Prairie. He was an HCJB missionary from Ecuador 
who had come back home and uh, bought this radio station in his hometown of Long Prairie, but couldn't make a go of it financially. So he had to go to the Twin Cities to earn money, and he hired a guy to run the station for him. Well, this guy didn't know too much and people would turn on the radio in the morning to laugh at his mispronunciations and so on. (laughs) So the owner had heard about me somehow and uh, called me up and asked if I could help him by going in in the morning, recording the news that they would repeat over and over until noon when they had to change it. Okay, I was reluctant to do that, but after asking me a couple, three times, I'd say I'd willing to do that. So that's what got my foot in the door. And eventually, uh, the first owner had to sell the station, and uh, new people bought it. They weren't ready to run it, but um, they hired me to be a temporary manager and disc jockey and news broadcaster. So I was doing everything. I was selling copy. I was trying to collect old bills, and all of that as the I had to man the uh, phonograph and uh, the broadcast equipment. I had to go down to Chicago to get my third-class radio engineer's license to do, <laughs> be legally entitled to do that. Oh, this is awesome. That and, phonograph is vinyl for those of you who yeah. didn't catch that. And anyway, one day when the new owners came in, they gave me some parameters to work with. And they gave me a new show to run called Madam, You Have the Pl- Floor. You and have a what? Madam, you have the floor. Oh, you have the floor. So okay. it was a talk show, and uh, I would talk with whoever called in, and sometimes a static in the background or a crying kids, I'd have to kind of gently cut them off. And one day a guy called in and started talking, and he got a little irate when I told him, I'm sorry, sir, this is for ladies only, and I turned the switch off on him. Anyway, uh, all of those things happened. My kids loved to come down to the station and pick out music for me to play over the radio uh, while they were there listening to it. So this is, this doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, how old are you, Bill? I don't know. Uh, I'm 83 now. 83. Yeah. So you, so you came in, and you're not you're not a big you know strapping imposing figure. You're 83 years old now. So you know we all. We all shrink just a little bit when we're 83. Yeah. And you came in, I sat down, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to turn this mic up a little bit for you. And then and then you started talking, and I thought, no, I don't have to turn this mic up at all because you've got <laughs> kind of a booming voice. So that doesn't surprise me that you were that you were on radio. Yeah. Did you ever use any part of the radio? So were, were you a pastor at that time? Yes, that was my first pastorate. Yeah. And did and you talk about the Lord on the radio ever? No, was that any part of it? No, this is purely secular. Okay. I read the news that came off the AP wire. Okay. Did a few other tasks around there. I was the disc jockey, as I said, and I did these other outside tasks when we had other people come in in the afternoon. When I could, I finally disengaged from that job because I wanted to keep working in the church as best I could. Yeah. Anyway, all of that was helpful in my experience, one incident might help you. A guy ran a little mechanic shop about a mile north of the church in the parsonage, and my car was having trouble, so I brought my car up there and had him work on it. And while I was doing that, he was talking about going hunting in Minnesota. I said, you know, Ray, I got some great maps at home. Let me go home and get them and show you where some great hunting country is. And I wasn't much of a hunter, but I loved being out in the wild. So 
I went home. I got the maps, came up there and talked about it. And then I left. And then I thought, you dummy Larson, you told him where to find a deer. You didn't <laughs> talk to him about knowing God. Hmm. So I had to go back to him and talk to him a little more about it. He wasn't a believer, but he listened to what I had to say. And I was trying to tell him, Ray, you got to know the way to eternal heaven. And I had some opportunities in that little church to win people to Christ just by becoming friends. Hmm. And one guy who ran a little grocery store a little further north of that mechanic shop ran a grocery store and feed mill combination. And he was an ex-Marine. His mother and dad were members of the church, but he didn't come. Any a profane mouth. And I'd go in the store and I'd say, uh, Bray, I just want to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'd like to invite you back to church again. And he'd kind of, don't talk to me, brother. You know, uh, I said, well, Ray, you know, you've got groceries here. And the salesman has to come and says, what do you need today? And you tell him what you need. And he puts those cans in your store and you sell them to other people. And I said, I'm here to simply come back and ask you again, Ray, are you ready to think about knowing Jesus is your Savior? And Jeff, I had the privilege of going up there one night and introducing his wife to Christ. And she said she'd been praying for weeks in fear of knowing, not knowing Christ. And the day came when Art came down and said, I want you to pray for me. Pray hmm. for me, I might give up cigarettes. Hmm. And I baptized he and his wife and his daughter all on one occasion through that gentle chatting together in their store. Yeah, that's awesome. How, how do you remember the specifics of those things? You're you're twenty, you're 30 years older than me almost. No, and really? You, re, you remember? I don't remember in my first church so much, so much stuff. So that's, that's really cool. So... You went from that little church, then how many ministries did you have after that? How did it go well, after that? When we decided we had to get to work in a church full time, yeah, we sought opportunity elsewhere, and I was invited to uh, consider a small, a mid-sized church at that point in Marion, Iowa. Mm-hmm. It was a church of about 100 people or so, and relatively young. I think there were only three or four years as a congregation. Hmm. So when they lost their first pastor, they had heard about my availability and asked to talk together with me. So I eventually talked with them, and they decided to risk calling me. And so my wife and I and the kids packed up, and they put all of our furniture from that first church in the middle, in the back of a washed-out cattle truck, and <laughs> trucked it all down to Marion, Iowa, and we had... Six wonderful years there. Then we went to Spokane, Washington, where mm. I pastored for ten and a half years in an inner city church. Okay. And then came to Des Moines to an old historic kind of metropolitan church in a changing neighborhood. Mm. And I pastored there until I was called to be the district minister for our denomination here for the last 12 years of my ministry. Okay, so what denomination is that? Remind me. That was a Baptist General Conference, the old Swedish Baptists. Okay. So with a name like Larson, I fit right in. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So in those last 12 years then, you worked with pastors in a region or in a district, yes? That's right, yes. And what were the things that you found, what were you having to deal with over and over 
with pastors? Was there like a common theme that pastors struggled with where they, where they needed your, your help? Well, discouragement is a big one. And because pastors have this self-image that they don't need help or shouldn't acknowledge it, they often struggle terribly mm. with lack of motivation and downheartedness, and their wives get down, and they don't know what to do. So one of the things when I took that job, and I took it because I wanted to help pastors, mm-hmm. and I wanted to encourage the starting of new churches across Iowa. The one other thing I did was every month from the reading I've done in my lifetime, I'd pick out a little passage and I'd send out a one-page sheet to the pastors. I don't remember what I called it now, but a little uh, pastoral encouragement on paper. Hmm. And I did that for about three years. I still have the copies of all of them. And sometimes they would include uh, a cartoon I saw somewhere. Mm-hmm. One I saw a guy fishing on the ice with a 12-inch hole he's fishing through. And the guy next to him has got the side, uh, piece of ice cut out in the shape and size of a whale. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we ought to expect big things for God. <laughs> so anyway... I think that had some encouragement. I got some replies from some of those pastors saying it picked them up at a tough moment. Yeah. And one of the other things I did because of my prominence in the churches that I would minister, and I'd go out and preach at a different church almost every Sunday, um, I got to know people with little money. And one fellow had a fair amount of money, and I asked him for some money at one time, and he turned me down, but he said, do you need any other thing? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I've had some money that I just about spent now to help pastors and wives who were going through a tough time. And I said, if you would feel free to give me a little money to replenish that fund, I'd really appreciate it. He opened his drawer and wrote me a check for 2000 bucks. Hmm. And I would just, when I would go call, I would uh, visit with them. And if I felt they needed it, I would leave them with a check for 300 bucks. And I would say, all you have to do is tell me what you did for the weekend. You've got to go away somewhere. Hmm. You and your wife, leave somebody with the kids, and you go and spend some time praying together. That's the only two things you have to do. And what a God said that was. Hmm. That's one thing a district guy can do that he has to do privately because you don't want to give uh, undue prominence and you don't want to discourage guys that needed it that you didn't feel you could help or didn't know about. Wow, that's amazing. And so as you uh, were going from church to church, what did you see changing in church ministry? You know, I mean, you were in church ministry, local church ministry, for over 30 years. And how did you see things changing during those 12 years, for maybe the better or maybe for the worse? I don't know that I can quantify that very well, but there was certainly a spectrum of guys doing relatively well. Now, these are maybe larger churches, uh, maybe with a longer history of stability and so on. And sometimes I think they were maybe coasting, and Hmm. sometimes you found out they ran into problems. There are a middle range where guys, I think, were doing well. They were younger, maybe just relatively young out of seminary. And my task was to just encourage them and try to help them any way I could. And I would put on um, pastoral retreats every year at our camp, Pine Lake Camp. Mm-hmm. We would do other things, and I would try to call on them on the phone regularly. 
and I would try to visit every church and pastor a couple times a year if I could. Didn't always work out. But one of the things I found the hardest to handle was pastors who got discouraged enough and had to leave. Sometimes it wasn't their fault. Uh, One pastor we discovered later on was coming down with Alzheimer's disease early on in his 50s. Oh, yeah. We asked the church to send him to counseling, and he did, but they didn't pick up on it, and eventually he had to leave that ministry, and uh, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, and it probably, that didn't, that diagnosis probably didn't come out until later. No, it didn't come out until later. Yeah. And another pastor, sad to say, ended up as a, a sexual aberrant and left the ministry. And oh, you grieve for the church, you grieve for the wife and the family, and you grieve for the pastors who leave prematurely, who could have been salvaged. Right. And with my peers, when I was district minister across our national denomination, we tried various approaches to get some help for them, and uh, we didn't develop that far enough, but it's one of the unfinished projects I'm sorry I couldn't do more with. But uh, if you're a pastor's pastor, you really bleed and hurt for those situations. Yeah. And that, thankfully, you have some real joyful things to celebrate, too. Yeah, and you know, all those things are going on and more today yep. with pastors and the needs that they have. There's uh, just a ton of discouragement, you know, out there. And then there's a ton of opportunity, too, for other pastors. I think there's a lot more pastors that are bivocational, and a lot of them that are bivocational intentionally because yeah. they want to be connected to the workplace. They want to be connected to the community. Right. So going back into your, let's say, maybe your last pastorate, did you have in your week, did you have much structure? Did you have like a schedule that you tried to keep or uh, times when you would prepare your messages, times when you would particularly you know, visit people or do administrative work? Uh, well, that varied depending on the size of the church I was serving my last church before retirement was a larger church of about 400 people, and it had six or seven adult Sunday school classes, every one of which expected my wife and me to be there at their monthly social. Hmm. So uh, I went off charging like a bull trying to do everything and found that I couldn't do everything. Yeah. So you have to make adjustments along the way. So in that church of 400, how many other staff pastors did you have? We had two others. One was full-time when I came, and uh, we hired a third one later on. And uh, that worked fairly well, but I don't feel I gave them enough personal conversation because a church that size has a lot of counseling needs. I didn't do all the hospital visitation, but I felt preaching was my primary responsibility. So Sometimes I would leave my study, put the books I wanted with me in the car, and drive down to the Des Moines River at a parking space and sit there and study and try to put uh, my sermon outline together, at least initially, and then work on it for the rest of the week. I always wanted to have my message done by Friday, hopefully, and I tried to take Saturday afternoon off. I'd work Saturday morning, and then my regular day off was Monday. Okay, so Saturday afternoon... Sunday evening, you probably had church? Oh, yeah. Right? So Sunday was Four a blowout. Four services a, a week. Sunday was a blowout. Yeah. So you had Saturday afternoon and Monday. How, how about evenings? 
Were you home most evenings? I tried jealously to keep family time in mind. And I think if there's any measure of my success in that, it's that my kids have not rebelled against ministry. They are all Mm. deeply involved in churches right now in a variety of ways. And we have a wonderful family time. Uh, I think even in that country church, they had experiences they'd never had. They went to a one-room school, all three of them. Now, (laughs) the first one was too young to go, but they let her come and visit a couple of times. Okay. But uh, I think there were 18 kids in six grades in that school. Wow. One teacher, obviously. One teacher. Yeah. And the small church was still a blessing. They still have many memories of that church. And, of course, every church had its difference, and each one seemed to help them spiritually to continue growing. Bill, you've been through some challenges recently. Yeah. Tell us what you've been dealing with. Well, we were trying to sell our house this summer. Didn't sell. And in September, my wife was not feeling well. We took her to the doctor. Eventually, she took an x-ray and said, I think you need to go to the emergency room right now. And she said, drive her there. Don't wait for the ambulance. Hmm. She said, I will call ahead. So the upshot was they put her in the hospital, and she had severe pneumonia in one lung at that stage. She had sepsis, which is blood poisoning, she had uh, MRSA, this yeah. methicillin-resistant bacteria, and uh, her kidneys had already shut down by the time she got to the hospital. She had a whole list of complaints that I didn't all understand. But by the grace of God, they gave her high-powered antibiotics from the word go until she developed. She couldn't handle it. They had to take her off that. Then they had to switch her to another one. And she eventually developed resistance to that. Hmm. So she was really hospitalized for uh, five-plus weeks. Then she was on an infusion pump at home, and we would have to go into the hospital every day to get that antibiotic changed. And then we would go home, and I would try to manage that pump, which would often go off prematurely, and I didn't know for sure what was wrong with it. So sometimes I have to call them and give them—they'd give me feedback on how to restore it. Anyway— She got well enough that they took her off finally, even though it was a little premature. And she was not well by any means, and by then we'd sold the house. We moved here to Newton, and she didn't turn around. That was the 8th of December. About the 1st of January, she started feeling she'd turned a corner. Hmm. But took weeks even after that, and even now, she's not at full strength by any means. But she is certainly well better off. And her hair, which was falling out because of the chemo, is growing back, and she's hopeful that even that will be restored. And just after she's feeling better, I come down with cancer of the prostate, of Mm. a bladder, rather. Mm. And I've got other health concerns. So I've been going through chemo, which I finished last Tuesday, but I missed church Sunday. And uh, even this morning, I had digestive upset because of the effects of the chemo, and uh, there's no way I'll know how long it'll take to outgrow these things, if ever. But hopefully within the next few weeks, the chemo should be actually gone from my body, but the effects of it may last for quite some time yet. But God's in charge, and we trust him fully. And I'm only sorry I've missed prayer meeting too often here lately and haven't got to start Sunday school class And I had to miss your sermon Sunday, and I haven't listened to it on the radio, but I like your preaching, Jeff. 
and I like the church, and we hope that we'll be a helpful part of the congregation here. Well, you already have been. You have been. We had a we had a next steps uh, gathering here several weeks ago, and I had three couples that are all three were newer to the church, and I had a, a very young couple kind of a middle-aged couple, and then uh, you and your wife were on the old other. Old couple. Were on the other end. I didn't want to yeah. say old. 83 uh, is qualifies. <laughs> but it was so, It was that was a fun morning for me to because you all had input and interaction. And if, if I was going to have 83-year-olds in with younger people like that, you got you and your wife are the perfect ones. You have a lot of energy, but your wife, boy, she really she's a she's a spitfire, isn't she? Is that her natural uh, natural disposition? She's, she's a strong lady, <laughs> and she has energy, and she serves God well. She's become a great prayer, and uh, to be able to pray with her in the local church and elsewhere. We've gone to uh, some experience in Mexico where we have prayed with missionaries. And Hmm. I myself have taken a small team, a prayer team, to Mexico and spent a whole week praying with the Mexican nationals and our missionaries who we serve down there. And that's been one of the great joys of my life to be able to do that. And to have Shirley be a partner in that in various ways has been just wonderful. That's great. That's great. So, Bill, you're speaking to pastors of small churches. A lot of them are bivocational. Some of them are in church plants. Some of them are trying to revitalize a church, and then others are wondering whether or not they should leave because they're pretty small. What do you have to say to a pastor who might be discouraged? I mean, this I told you our podcast is all about ministry encouragement, but from your perspective, from your seat— where you sit now in life, you've got a great perspective on a long life of ministry and tons of opportunities. What do, what do you say to the pastor who is in 40s, 50s, and just feeling like, man, I haven't really, haven't really done what I thought I would do, and I'm kind of discouraged, and I wonder if it's really worth it? Well, there's several things I could say. Uh, one is hang in there. Certainly, all you pastors listening to this broadcast, never write your resignation letter on the day after a tough Sunday Hmm. or on a difficult leadership meeting or after a thorny problem. You better think twice about resigning and always seek some outside counsel about the wisdom of that. God will eventually lead you somewhere else. As I said, I've moved four or five times now, and I felt God led me in each one of those, even to come to Newton. Hmm. You know, we're living next door to our nurse daughter who's going to take care of us in her old age. But that means a new church to get to know and a new town and three grocery stores and pharmacies to get to know your way around. What a pain in the neck. (laughs) Anyway, we're here, and we're going to do our best with we can. That's cool. And find a couple of people, maybe even lay people, outside the church who know you and who are trustworthy, who will keep confidences. You cannot share all these things with anybody who has a loose lip because you will know things that you should never share with anybody beyond those confidence. And, of course, some things you can only share with God, not even your own wife. I've had my wife get a little upset with me because some things I've refused to share with her. But 
and she could be downhearted by something that burdens my heart. And yeah, you know, unless God tells me to do it, and He tells me to share a lot of things with her. But find people you can talk to, and certainly it could be a pastor from a nearby church who's maybe from a different denomination where you won't cross paths too often. But that's been my privilege over my years. I've started pastor's prayer groups in every place I've ministered. And even in Des Moines, I restarted a group that had been going years ago with one of the pastors of the largest church in Des Moines, And eventually I became uh, the president of the uh, NAE group in Des Moines area. But it's the bond of affection with the pastors. And we had some experiences in Des Moines, seven or 800 to 2,000 people coming to a prayer meeting to celebrate the goodness of God across denominational lines. And to me, that's where it's at. Yeah. Because if you're evangelical, we know Christ. And it's that commitment to him and his word that binds us together. And even some mainline churches have come. I had a Catholic priest coming to our Des Moines Bible study. It's just wonderful to meet guys, maybe at mainline denominations, who do know Christ. And I've got to know uh, some of the mainline bishops here in the Des Moines area and went to Washington, D.C. twice to visit our congressmen down there and to pray for and with them. I had a lot of stories to tell you. I better quit. Uh, be, otherwise, this will go on forever. Well, Bill, we've actually we're at thirty nine minutes. Wow! Believe it or not, time flies, doesn't it? It does. So, thank you for joining us today. And you know, our podcast is for small church pastors. Yeah. And well, you know, we talk to all kinds of people. We never get tired of talking to regular pastors. And you're about as Johnny would tell me this is an insult, but you're about as regular. As they come, except for maybe this morning you said you might not have been that regular. No, that's true. <laughs> I had problems this morning and Sunday. So, so, uh, But I appreciate your helping us to encourage pastors. Well, you're welcome. It's my privilege, and let me pray for you right now. Could I quickly? Yes, yes please. Lord God, whoever's listening, give them strength and new encouragement. And Lord, I believe you've blessed me with the gift of encouragement So I want to lift them up to you right now. And may some of my reminiscences this morning, God, give them fortitude to continue until they're absolutely sure that you are the only one calling them to a new ministry. In the meantime, may they find new productivity and maybe a a new momentum over the bump in the road that they're facing at the present moment. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. You're welcome. Jeff, when you talk to somebody like Bill who's been doing it for that long and and they never quit, and that's a testament and a testimony in and of itself because every pastor listening, no matter if you've been doing this for a year, for 20 years, for 30 years, no matter if you're a woman, you're a man, no matter if your church is 50 people or 500 people, if you're listening, you have thought about quitting. It has crossed your mind. Maybe you quit and you've come back. Maybe you quit and you're out right now and you just listen to us because you think, wow, I can't believe these idiots are still doing it. But for a guy like this to be a minister for that long uh, without quitting, I think it's just, 
it's just incredible for him to be able to answer the call like that because um, it's I mean it's it can be difficult sometimes and uh, and that's yeah. just really cool to hear yeah and he talked about that right he talked about not quitting not giving up hanging in there but what nobody knows is when the recording was over with he said to me now do you have about a half an hour to uh, talk and I'm like yeah and he pulls out his iPhone SE. 83-year-old guy, he's got an iPhone SE that is Bluetooth connected to his hearing aids. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And when he's in the when he comes in the service on a Sunday morning, he told me he gets his iPhone out, he pulls up the settings, and he's got a setting to listen to me. Wow. Where I'm loud and clear in his ears. Wow. Which is amazing. But he gets out his iPhone because he's got notes on it. And he wanted to ask me what I thought about a couple different doctrinal issues. And then he wanted to share with me how he wants to teach a class at the local community college and who could I connect him with because he's got this subject matter that he wants to teach. And this is after he's just finished chemo for cancer. And he's been, you know, down and out for a while, but but his mind is racing. His his spirit is still soaring. I mean, he still wants to build into the lives of young people. And I don't know if he's going to teach that class or not. I mean, afterwards he said, well, I still need to have surgery. So oh, maybe I'm not sure if this is the time, but but it may. So the guy is really incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Very, very incredible. So we talked for another half hour or so, and then, and then he drove me. Uh, to where my car was. Uh, it wasn't there at the church. <laughs> he drove me and dropped me off and wow. was, was on his way. That's so, a cool story, like I man. said, yeah, one of these guys that, that have never stopped. And I'm thinking, what what am I going to be like at you know 27 years from now when I'm 83? Oh, am man. I going to be as energetic and as forward-thinking as this guy is? When I'm 83, I'm going to sit and watch TV all day, and then that's it, and eat popcorn. I'm not mad. No one actually be left. TVs. You just put your TV my glasses hologram. on. Yeah, and you'll that's right. See it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my. So Johnny, goodness. how you been the last couple of weeks? Been you been all right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, been doing all right. I. You know, we could do a whole episode about the post Easter malaise because mm-hmm. that, I mean, our Easter services were so energetic and so kind of big, and then even though the attendance has been good after, I mean, not that that's the be all end all, but we didn't have a big attendance hangover, but I just personally felt so like, man, I invested a lot of time and energy into Easter and then, you know, it's over. And I thought, well, maybe here's what I said to my worship guy. When the Cubs won the world series, I thought, so baseball's done. Like they're not, why have a season next year? Right? Like yeah. baseball's over. The it's Cubs over. won. Like, isn't that what we were all waiting for? Like it's done. After Easter, I was like, do we have to have church next week? <laughs> like, I feel I put a lot of work into this. I feel like we're probably all set now, aren't we? So, yeah, but, but the cool thing is, is that Jesus rises from the dead every year in yes. the spring. Amen. Amen. Every year, huh? Amen. You like the way we do that? <laughs> so that, that was, uh, it took me a week, I think, uh, a week and a half maybe to kind of work through my post-Easter malaise. But it's been, it's been good. It's been good ministry. It's been very busy. Uh, my daughter Eliza is um, getting ready to have some surgery uh, next week, and uh, so there's some, you know, some stress and just uh, anxiety around that. But it's all it's good stuff, and we're um, 
you know, we're happy where we are in ministry and with our family and everything, my wife and I. And so it's, it's good. We're feeling, um, yeah, we're feeling good. Is this surgery going to put her in a better place? Yeah. It's for the sake of long-term health. Um, so, so that what happened with her before doesn't happen again. That's the hope, right? Is that we would have, uh, she would have these surgeries so that she'll be better situated to be healthy long-term and not, you know, have to go through what we've, what we've had done before. So it's good, but it's, it's hard. Well, it always is when you see, watch your kid, you know, getting, getting put out and getting, you know, taken care of like that. It's that, that is stressful, but you know what? You guys have had a lot of practice. That's right. We're old hands at the hospital. <laughs> this is <life>. nothing <laughs> compared to what you went through in January. No, it's not. You're right about that. So my grandson, he passed his swallow test today. That's awesome. And he is he is on to drinking from a bottle Good after being him. fed by a tube for the last three to four months. Yeah. I, my daughter sent me a picture of him with milk all over his formula, all over his cheeks. I don't know if he's a little sloppy drinking from a bottle I'm right sure now. I'm sure he not is. used to having to. He thinks it's a lot easier to just pump it right in your stomach. For sure, yeah. It's that's a lot like the more good efficient. And <laughs> so, yeah. Well, hey, uh, are we? is this a phone call between us or are we still recording? Uh, we're still technically recording, but everybody, okay. everybody just right. gets well, to hey, enjoy that part now. <laughs> I, I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that you've been encouraged by Pastor Bill. It's encouraging to have him in my church. Yeah. He comes probably every every fourth Sunday. He will come up to me because he doesn't want to bother me because he knows I'm talking to, to people, right? Sure, sure. So he's got that pastor's heart. Yeah. But he'll come up to me and he'll say he'll share some encouragement with me. Uh, it's it's just been great. It's been great having him at our church. That's awesome, Johnny. Next week we've got on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. We've got a younger guy who's just planted a church and is going to be talking about uh, how how the first few weeks have gone, the preview services, and how things are going there. He's in the Pennsylvania yeah. area, and so we go from retired minister to church planter. Going to be, it's going to be a good one, and I like the way we're covering both ends of the spectrum. No matter where you are on the pastoral spectrum, we are glad that you listen. We hope and pray that you are encouraged, and we can't wait to see you next week here on the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, you should subscribe to our weekly email at 200churches.com and to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You know it. We'll be back next week with another amazing and encouraging episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love His church. That mic screen. Isn't this ridiculous? <laughs> Looks like a, what do they call those things that had the hair? A troll? Smur- Smurfs. A troll doll you're talking about. Well, a troll or a smurf. I think smurf. smurfs had those hair. Yeah. Okay. On the 200 Churches podcast. Did your phone die? What happened to your video? No, it didn't die, but my son Mitch has called me from Fairway. Oh, okay.
His phone actually died today, so he doesn't have his cell phone. Gotcha. So he was calling me from the Fairwind office, probably. All right. Pick him up. All right. Let's talk soon. My wife got home a little bit ago. Okay. She, she was at an event I want to hear about, so we'll talk soon, though, okay? All right. Love you, man. Bye. Bye.